so I think we're live. I'm just trying to check on LinkedIn. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I think we're live now, Matt. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, um, as I said, like in the last live uh, video, um, my live sessions would be mostly either my opinion or I'll have a guest um, who I think is a big influence in his area. And I'm really excited about today because um, Matt is really an expert. So I'll give a bit of background. Uh, he's an author um, and his book is one of the, my go-to books when it comes to storytelling. It's an impressive book and I have it here. <laughs> um, and I even have some, um, yeah, I have some notes even written in it. That's oh, how yeah. important that book is. <laughs> he, hasn't, he doesn't know by the way that. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Matt is um, a former 20-year Pixar storytelling expert. He's a writer, director, and definitely a creativity expert. Uh, he was the youngest Simpson animator and inspirational animator on Toy Story. Uh, personally, when it comes to storytelling, yeah, his book is my go-to book. And I believe when it comes in analytics, as a practitioner, uh, storytelling is very important. And we use it end to end when it comes to the analytics. We use it in data governance when we need to land a message. We need it in data engineering, data science, visualization. Um, it is really a crucial thing. Um, and today I thought, well, we can have this chat. It's an informal chat over a coffee. So I have my coffee. <laughs> um, and really get to, to ask Matt some of the questions and link it to analytics. And also understand a bit more about the journey. Um, that he's went through. Matt, do you want to add anything or? You know, this, this, this sounds great. I'm already thinking about the times um, for films I've worked on at Pixar or for other studios where we did use data and analytics to be able to make a more uh, relatable, authentic connection with the audience. So I am prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Hannah here. Hi, Hannah. Um, so the chat is open, by the way, you can send chats on um, LinkedIn, on Twitter and on um, on LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube. And I will we'll be uh, answering your questions. Uh, hi, Hannah. Hi, Babu. Uh, so, Matt, let's start a bit about your journey, becoming an inspirational storyteller. That's a very different field. And uh, <laughs> it's not common. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I would say that, you know, when we're all kids, we're definitely all storytellers, right? You know, you're in a, when you're with, when you're with a group of kids that are five years old and you ask them, who's an artist? They all raise their hand. When you ask them, who's an actor? Or they all raise their hand or who's a storyteller? They all raise their hand. That's because ultimately, yes, we are all those things. We are all storytellers. I was just in a interesting um, uh, a situation growing up. Now, my parents were one of those parents that actually um, empowered me and nurtured me and gave me the resources to uh, continue uh, that dream of wanting to be a storyteller and a create a creator, especially in film. And so, you know, when I was when I was a kid growing up, my family owned toy stores. That was that was their thing. They owned a chain of toy stores that they owned and operated that were began by my great great grandparents. 
Uh, but my dad, who was and still is the owner of the toy store, um, he actually wanted to be a Disney animator. So you can imagine when he had his first child, me, who liked to draw, he instantly was like, I'm going to I'm going to live vicariously through you. So we're going to do everything to make you a Disney animator. So it was really um, my dad, my mom and my other relatives that uh, believed in me. And also uh, just, you know, they didn't say that's just a hobby. They said, you can do this. And throughout elementary school and high school, I was that kid that always had a pencil in my hand or a video camera or a Super 8 camera filming and creating stories and writing, which uh, when I reached that point, when you're about nine, you know, 18, and you have to figure out what's, what college you go, go to, what university, I got lucky because there was a college that was about eight hours away from me that was the animation college at the time in the 80s that was created by Walt Disney to train the next generation of animators. And then that was my, my next step in my journey of getting in that school and starting to make my first animated films. Wow. And how did that translate into storytelling? Because from animation, yeah, storytelling, and now you're literally you're also you know, doing for businesses. And yeah, it's it's interesting because I I always thought that if you love a certain thing, like business, that means okay, you just get a business degree. I think we all know if you get into business, there's so many different facets of business, right? Well, the same thing is with animation. I thought I want to get into animation. That means I need to get an animation degree. But when I was at this animation school my first year, I started to see the things that I was better at. I could animate, I could draw, I could do character designs. But the thing that I was good at that a lot of my other uh, fellow students came to get help from me with was the story part. They, you know, I think you know, when you're looking in life, when you look at life and you say, what should I do for a, a living? You should really do the things you enjoy. And the storytelling part was the part I enjoyed. And um, yes, my first job was working as an animator on The Simpsons when I was 19 years old. Totally land that job. It was, a, you know, a blend of luck and, and having what it takes. But I was an animator. But it was during The Simpsons that I ended up seeing how the scripts were written for the TV show. And that was really where I saw that that job of writing for a living uh, and doing storytelling is actually a career choice. And that's what led me to um, after I worked on the third season of The Simpsons, um, when I took the job at Pixar when there was only 80 people and it was a startup. Um, I took that job because there was, uh, they said after I would animate on Toy Story, I could get moved into the story department. So that was my motivation. And, and then I ended up working in the story department as, as one of the writers, storyboard artists, story supervisors for 20 years at Pixar. So that was that transition into uh, getting into storytelling and writing. 
That's brilliant. It's an inspirational story. Um, and I think it's not really related to story, but I think what the journey that you've gone to and maybe picking the career that you want, starting from animation to looking at storytelling, is quite I'm passionate about data analytics. I'm so passionate about data. So yeah. I'm obsessed, but <laughs> it makes a lot of a difference. Yeah, you know, I also I, I think the first time I saw how data because, you know, I didn't know about anything about what <clears throat> data meant when I was uh, <clears throat> working in animation. But I think the first time I saw how it worked in film was, you know, when I started animating on Toy Story, we're not animating on paper, we're animating on a computer. And all of a sudden, we started to see that the smallest movements of the pupils were making a, a really big difference on how we were connecting with the characters. And we actually brought in a, a psychologist who studied the movements of people's eyes, why people would will look up or down or to the side, why people look to the left side or the right side. And this guy, Robert Plunchkick, um, that came in, he ended up sharing with us the reason why people's pupils go the way they are. For example, when, you're, when your eyes go up, it's because you're remembering something visually. You know, you may not realize you do that, but when, if, when somebody asks you, what did, what did your first house look like when you were a kid? You tend to look up. And then when somebody asks you, what is, what is, what is your mom's voice sound like? You actually look to the side and then when somebody asks you, what did something feel like? Like, what does it feel like when your feet are in sand? Um, you end up looking down. And so this is one of those things we started thinking about and we started working those into um, the way we were doing the acting for Woody because we had this subtle way of being able to do CG animation now that was more specific we collected the data on how most people's directions of their pupils go to be able to make a more authentic, relatable connection with the audience. Because even though Woody's a toy and he's CG animated, the way his facial expressions were working were more relatable to people. And so that was the first time because of this guy who had studied how everybody's facial expressions and eye movements work around the world we were able to use that data for animation, which is weird. This is brilliant. And I think it's linked to one of the questions I have here, um, Matt, which is how storytelling empowers analytics. Because what you've just described in terms of movement of eyes or movement of, I guess this is linked into how when we are discussing things or telling a story, um, getting like the stakeholders engaged or in a visualization, when you need to kind of share some visualization, when you share a visualization with your stakeholders, it's where do their eyes land and on which bit first? Um, it's quite yeah. interesting. Well, it is. I mean, you know, there is, when I think about, when I'm thinking about animating a character, I think about first the facial expression, but then I also think about the body expression, the body acting, you know? 
And this totally applies for when you're making a pitch or presentation, how you end up presenting yourself, your expressions, your body expressions. I think we all know that, you know, if you touch your face too much, uh, it makes you look worried, right? You don't want to do that. Like when the next time you're doing no, you know, a virtual talk, you don't want to be doing a lot of that uh, the touching of the face. It makes you look like you're uneasy and you're 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 not being uh, you're not in control. <laughs> you know, you can hold your you can hold one hand on your face and keep it steady. Hmm. That looks like you're listening. But if you do this, then you're just bored. Why am I here? Right. So all of those. You know, I'm, I'm directing a film right now, and with my animators, I'm constantly looking for that. How is the facial and body expressions going to make the audience feel a certain way? But this totally applies for us. You know, we all know first impressions are so important when we're meeting with a client or a customer or a consumer, and we want to make sure that we have a good uh, uh, first impression with people. So... Especially on, especially being we're all virtual now, you know. I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So let me. I want to build on what you've said now in terms of empowering analytics. But let me first ask a question um, about because normally people say when it comes to storytelling, it's more beginning, middle, and end. Your methodology is a bit different, and to be honest, I've used your book a lot. <laughs> yeah. And one of the bits that I really love was the what if. But I'd leave you to kind of give a bit of an explanation. Like I've used the sure. word, I'll give a personal example afterwards, but maybe you can share your methodology. Yeah. Well, you know, we, I think we all know how short people's attention span are nowadays. It's usually mm -hmm. seven to eight seconds is the attention span of, of a person. And so when you are beginning a presentation, you need something that's going to hook people. This is the beginning of your talk or beginning of a story, but that hook in the beginning is so essential. So when I'm thinking about making a picture presentation, I'm always thinking about how to be able to get people excited in the first seven seconds. Like the movie, The Incredibles. Remember the superhero film? Yes, um, of course. <laughs> the, the seven second pitch is what if superheroes were banned from saving people? Very clear and concise. It gets mm -hmm. right to the part that's really the most interesting in the whole movie. Or when you go to Ratatouille, the seven second pitch is what if a rat wanted to be a French chef? Now I know those are movies, but really it's our job in the world of business to think about what is the most interesting thing about your idea, your product, your solution, and how can you boil it down into seven seconds? And, you know, in a 90 minute movie, that first seven seconds is super important. But when you think of the shortest content that's out there online now, like something on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram, you only have sometimes those seven seconds is all you have, right? I think about, you know, the most successful, um, you know, you know, Ocean Spray. I don't know if you know Ocean Spray, this kind of, you know, kind of drink, juice, drink. The most successful mm -hmm. ad they've ever had is is that one that somebody else just put online of this guy on a skateboard drinking ocean spray while a Fleetwood Mac song is playing. It's the most successful ad 
in the uh, that has ever been made for them. And it's only seven seconds long. So that hook in the beginning is so important. And then after you have that, the next thing people want to know is, great, you got my attention. How is this thing now going to change my life? How is it going to make me uh, happier or wealthier or have more time with my family? Whatever it is, that's the next step is to then change uh, your audience. That's the next step. And that's really when you go into, that's, that's kind of like in the world of storytelling, that would be the end of act one and then act two, the middle would be then you sharing how your product idea or solution has been tested and has gone through ups and downs. And, uh, you know, and then the end is here's our final idea or product that is going to change your life. So that's the setup, build and payoff that I use. Well, this is brilliant. I mean, as I said, the book is just very inspiring. Um, in just building on the the seven seconds, I think in the MBA they used to teach us the uh, the elevator pitch. So it's literally elevator pitch. Yes, that's the, that's that's what we call it too. That's that seven seven second elevator pitch. If you got in the elevator with a famous director or a famous producer or the the main person at Netflix that you could pitch your idea to. Could you pitch your ideas clear and concise as possible in six seconds, uh, seven seconds to get their attention and get them hooked? Yep. <laughs> I got to tell you, that is, uh, of all the storytelling points I, I talk about, that one is really, that that's where it all begins. It's very important. And just to link it a bit with, I guess, uh, data analytics, um, one of the things, especially the what if, um, one of the things that we can think about when it comes to analytics, when it comes to the seven seconds, is the simple question as, what if we were able to optimize our supply chain and yeah. um, see where to best get the resources from which country, if we have a manufacturing site across the globe, for example? Or um, what if we were able to understand our customers better and you know understand the pricing models? And it's just getting the right questions so that the business can come with yeah. you. Optimization models are quite rich and they are difficult. Well, there's four things that I try to use when I'm coming up with a hook. I either try to make my hook be unusual or something unexpected or lands people in an action or conflict. That's kind of the four, the four techniques you can use for creating a great hook. The first one, something unusual, is when you set up what is the ordinary world of a topic or a product, but you share how it could be totally different. That's something unusual. The Incredibles pitch. What if superheroes were banned from saving people? That's unusual because we all know superheroes save people. See, that's the trick. We've already taken something that people are so familiar with that we don't have to do any setup. We don't have to explain about superheroes. People know this. And then you just share, but what if they were banned from saving people? That's great. You know, you know when you take something that's already familiar with people, you know, like when we, for those people who remember this, when we used to have Walkmans with a cassette tape in it, with your headphones, you had about 14 songs on it. Now, 
on that cassette tape. Now, everybody was familiar with this. So when Steve Jobs made the pitch, what if you could put a thousand songs in your pocket when he pitched the iPod? You see, he was taking something that, that was an un unusual hook because he took something that was ordinary and familiar, but how it could be better, right? Now, really the best way to think about if you're developing a product or an idea or a film is think about something in life that either you're not happy with that you wish was better um, or um, an idea for a topic you think could be better and then do an unusual reversal of expectations on it. You know, you know, somebody looked at the world and said, you know, taxis are kind of a pain. It's hard to get a hold of them. They, uh, you know, they cost a lot. They're not usually clean. What if there was a better way than taxis? I mean, that's probably where it all started for Uber, right? So, so the first one is unusual. The next one is unexpected. This is shock value. This is the, what if a rat wants to be a French chef? Not only is it a re reversal of expectations, but it's also shocking. And I think we see a lot billboards, ads for films that are, are shock value unexpected, right? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen uh, plenty of good and bad attempts at this from different marketing companies to be able to shock you and get your attention. And then the last ones are landing people in an action or conflict. You know, when you go up on stage or you're doing a, a presentation or a talk or a pitch, if you can share something from your life that is relatable to what you're going, your, your product or idea, isn't it amazing that when you start sharing a story that's authentic, people listen, right? That's landing people in an action or a conflict. It's like Forrest Gump when he was sitting on that bench at the bus stop and he starts randomly talking to somebody about his life. People listen. So those are those are the techniques. You watch every TED Talk, they'll fall in one of those four. Uh, all the best speakers out there, they'll fall into one of those four. And that's the hook. I guess in analytics, we face a lot of those challenges. Like people kind of relate to the problems in terms of automation, for example, things that take ages to be done or the quality of the data that we have or being able to even look at KPIs and understand the performance or predict something in the future. I think yeah. your, your methodology of having a hook and actually asking those questions and all that is really important because it yeah. makes It does. And you know what? Like if I was, I'll just share with you a couple of ways that I would go about making a, a like a, starting off with a great hook if I was at a data company, okay? Now, um, I've never worked at a data company, but I, but I have uh, helped uh, many data analytic companies come up with stories. And, you know, I think the first thing is really taking uh, data and analytics and thinking about how it is used practically. You know, thinking about when you were a kid or in college, did you use some type of data and analytics to be able to do a job better or to do better at school? Um, you know, and I think about this one story about a friend of mine who's in data and analytics. And he said that the first time he got interested in this was when he was in college 
and he uh, had a part-time job to make extra money. And his job was he worked for a, a nightclub, okay? And it was in it was in the UK. It was in probably in London, I, I'd imagine. It was in the UK. And um, his job was to uh, hand out as many flyers as possible to get people to come to the club. And for every flyer that he really handed out and there was a response to, he he got, you know, paid more. He, and so he quickly figured out by just studying the best time to stand on a street corner when he would get the right age group and the right the right demographic to hit a particular street corner at the right time that he would be more effective if he was right at this place for these 30 minutes than if he was just roaming around town, just handing them out to, you know, some old grandparents and stuff, right? They would never even go to a nightclub. So he quickly realized that if you have the right data and information, you're going to do a better job. And that's what this is all about, right? So that is one of those examples of starting off with a story for your hook. So just to give you an example of how you guys can do this. It is, I think your example is really, uh, is really good, Matt, because also your reference that data and analytics is something that we are already doing in life. It's not something, I know it's a new terminology, but as, yeah. as much as you say, everyone was born a storyteller. I think everyone was born to use data and actually analytics. We yes. just used it without it being a terminology. And, you know, I use it all the time. I use it in a um, a simpler, well, sometimes complex, but sometimes some simpler way. You know, for example, if I'm going to do a pitch to a single person and I need to convince them of something, you know, I need to convince them of like, don't shut down the movie. I know it's expensive. I know we're taking too much time. How do I convince that person? Like, Let's keep it going. Believe in us. Don't don't cancel this. But the first thing I do is I want to know every single possible thing about that person. What is it that triggers their emotions and makes them tick? You know, um, are they a more analytical person, like more on the Spock side? Or are they a more feeling emotional person like Kirk from Star Trek? Right. I want to know what makes them tick. Do they like sports? Can I use a sports analogy? of how, you know, certain sports athletes like Michael Jordan have failed thousands of times, but they just never gave up. So I always want to know what's important to them before I come up with that convincing pitch to be able to trigger their emotions and change their mind. That's that's the same thing, but it's on a more simpler and individual specific um, uh, uh, example. And this is really important when you have different stakeholders to understand. I was like getting the stakeholders in, on board and actually what is in it for them and how do yep. they think. So you've just nailed it now when you said about understanding what kind of character, what kind of personality, because sometimes yeah. it is really valuable for them. It's just they don't see it. And you need to kind yes. of them this like, you know what, you can't see it. Let me help you. Let me take you with me on the journey and explain how this would actually be very beneficial for you and your team. And then there are times where you have more than one person. You've got a whole room of a thousand people and you need to convince them to adopt a different way of thinking or you know, take data and analytics seriously, whatever it is. 
how do you reach a thousand people that you have never met and you're not able to do any background on? Well, there are some things that are built into our DNA that you can use that um, that is 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 something that's been used in storytelling for thousands of years. And I mentioned this in the book, and it's about using universal themes. You know, you don't have to do data and analytics on every person in the world to realize everybody wants to be loved. That is universal. Hmm. Few people in this world can honestly say they don't want to be loved by anybody. <laughs> Almost everybody in the world wants to be loved and want, wants to give love in return. From the second you're a baby. Where are you, man? If you're not hugged and loved, a baby will die, right? So there's universal themes that you can use when you have a broad audience. Those universal themes are the desire for love, the desire for safety, you know, the preservation, not wanting to die, right? The uh, desire for freedom, to be able to uh, live out your passions, your dreams. And then there's also fears that we have in common. We all fear failing. As much as the most confident leaders out there may act like they're not afraid of it, they are. Fear of failure, the fear of not belonging, and the fear of being abandoned. So these six are six of the universal themes that have been used in every Pixar film, by the way. Uh, you look at the movie WALL-E. Yes, it's a sci-fi film about, you know, not letting the, the world fall to pieces, but ultimately it's just about a robot that wants to fall in love. They're the last robot on earth. They desire love. When you watch Finding Nemo, it's about a father who wants to keep his son Nemo safe. The desire for safety. Desire for freedom, that's, that's Merida in the movie Brave. She doesn't want to be the queen. She wants to choose her own fate. So see these, when we're making movies and we want to connect to as many people as possible because we got to pay for these movies. They're like $300 million to make, right? If we need to get as many people to buy a ticket, we need to use universal themes. We can't be specific. We have to touch on something that has been proven to connect with everybody in the world. Young, old, man, woman, every culture. So when you're thinking about data and analytics and how that is used, it can be used in a specific way, but then there's also that broad way of knowing that these are the universal themes that people can all relate to. I'll just, um, Danny, people who are watching, if you have any questions, just please share them um, and we'll um, answer them um, on the uh, session today. Again, this is live um, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, Matt, I want to take it from here about storytelling journey and build on what you've just said. There's something that you mentioned on the book about the storytelling journey and a bit about the emotional ups and downs, uh, especially in the movie Up and some yeah. of the stuff that Steve Jobs has done. Um, yes. This methodology is really, um, it, I think, I want you to explain it more because I think it's sure. really important. You know, um, I think we all know that there are certain stories that are more than just entertainment, but there are certain stories that actually really strike a chord in us, make us sincerely laugh, or can make us sincerely cry. 
you know, those emotions um, that are being released in an audience, yes, they could be uh, a director or writer could be accidentally making it happen. And they, they haven't really thought, how did we do that? We don't know what it happened. And that's great. But there is a science to storytelling that once you realize that when you have certain moments in a story, whether they're visual or on paper, you can uh, release dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, and cortisol to be able to make your audience collectively feel a certain way. It is probably one of the most powerful tools that any leader in the world can use. Because I think we know that people make decisions in life not because they are practical, um, but because they're emotional. We make decisions on what we're going to buy, where we're going to travel, what we're going to watch tonight, who we're going to go on a date with, what we're going to eat for dinner because of emotion, not because it's practical. So when you watch a, one of these movies that I've worked on, like Up or the Toy Story films, and you've cried and you've laughed, we know that a great story is like a roller coaster ride that takes you through highs and lows. And when you think about a roller coaster ride, when you're going up the track of a roller coaster, and it's a really high, steep roller coaster, and you're like, click, 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 there's the anticipation of, oh my gosh, what have I decided to do here? Like, am I ready for this? And there's a little bit of, of, of anticipation and fear. But then when you go down and you're, ah, there's a release. So in the beginning, it's this tension. And then there's a release when you're let down. And that's what a story is all about. It's about tension and release, creating tense parts and parts that have release. Now, once you understand this principle, you can say to yourself, I don't want to make a film that's just happy, happy, happy all the time. Maybe that's good for preschool. And in the preschool world for little kids like Peppa Pig, which I love, they really want to make sure that the stories don't involve death or anything that is too intense for a little kid. Makes sense. I agree. But for most other stories, you want to have um, highs and lows with things that are scary, things that are funny, things that are sad. And so when you watch the opening of the movie up, don't want to bring back any bad memories here, but if you remember, that was the one with the two kids that meet in the beginning. And um, one, the girl is kind of the tomboy who likes adventure and the little boy doesn't like adventure. He's kind of a scaredy cat. And they start off as friends and they grow up, they fall in love. And they get married, they build a house together, and they want to have kids. Now, whenever you have a moment in a story where two people are looking forward to something, like having kids, uh, that anticipation and that happiness ends up releasing dopamine in your audience. And that dopamine get, gets released in people, it makes people more focused because they want to know, are they going to get that thing? And also, we're happy and we're invested. But then what happens is in the story, we purposely have this down moment where we see they cannot have any kids. They're in the hospital. We get it. It's not going to happen. Now, when you have a sad moment, that is um, a moment that releases cortisol. I mean, not cortisol. I'm sorry. It, it, let me just think here. It uh, releases 
um, oxytocin. Sorry, I'm getting my chemicals mixed up. It releases oxytocin. And what oxytocin does is it makes the audience have empathy for the characters. That all of a sudden, even though these are cartoon characters, we're feeling sad for them. Now, not only do you, uh, you know, have empathy for them, you also feel generous. And this is what happens when me people make pitches or presentations where there's a lot of empathy. You feel like you want to donate. You want to participate. And we continue to do that through the opening of the movie up. After we released the oxytocin, made people feel empathy and generous. Then we had a happy moment again where we see they're going to go on an adventure to Paradise Falls and save up money. Dopamine's being released again. And through this cycle, we're also making people laugh with funny little gags and things, which releases endorphins. And endorphins will make the audience feel creative and comfortable. But then when we get to the end, at the end, when we see they do get those tickets to go to Paradise Falls, but they're in their 80s now, this is the moment when we see the wife die. And that is a serious release of oxytocin. And at that moment, we are so moved in these first 10 minutes of an animated film with no dialogue, just visuals and music. But what it does is it has triggered your emotions so much that you're going to keep watching. And this is the same type of technique that Steve Jobs used when he pitched the iPhone for the first time. He used the same ups and downs of this type of story technique of tension and release to be able to hook the audience. And when you trigger people's emotions, they will um, make decisions that will be to buy that phone or to keep watching that movie. Um, like I said, we don't make decisions because they're rational. We make decisions because somebody impacted our emotions and it's usually through a story. Yeah, I think I'm already listening to that is actually something that's impacting me. And I guess impacting also everyone's listening now because I think you just going through the story actually you took us with you on that journey. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's something about storytelling that is an amazing, an amazing thing that, you know, when you share a story or you're watching a story, what is happening is it's called neurocoupling. When somebody is telling a story of an experience they went through or telling a story about an experience somebody else went through, you are putting yourselves, you're putting yourself in the shoes of that character. Like you mentioned, you were with me when I was telling that story. That's called neurocoupling. And what happens is that you end up experiencing what the character went through, whether it's a robot, a car, a rat, an old man, and it can change you because you've experienced now a different way of seeing life. And that's, that's one of those really powerful things about storytelling and that people in the business world know that they can use as storytellers. I guess this is what you mentioned like, about Steve Jobs, for example, when he took us on like, okay, those are so many songs. Now we put them in this box in that, and it's just taking us on this journey. Yeah. Where we're like, ups and downs through it. Yep. And you know, the, like I mentioned, those ups and downs in business, how those work 
is when you share the ups and downs of a particular industry or a particular product. You know, when Steve introduced the iPhone, he shared with everybody at the very beginning that there's already iPhones out there, that there's already, not iPhones, there's already smartphones out there. You can go to a, a regular electronics store and you can buy a smartphone. But he said they're not smart. He said they're actually kind of stupid. Now, the reason why he did that, and you guys should use this as well, is because you always want to set up what is the ordinary world of your industry, a product, and then you share how it could be great. And that's when Steve said, but my iPhone is actually a smartphone because you're going to be able to go on the internet on it. Now, at the time, that was mind-blowing. We were all still having to only go on the internet behind our chunky computers. And he's saying, you can do this, and it's this big, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's mind-blowing. But one of the other things that you want to do in storytelling is there is this uh, technique uh, that's power of threes. Now, we see it happen all the time. There's uh, act one, act two, act three. We see uh, even in the cycle of our own day, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end of our day. But even when you're making a picture presentation and you're sharing the the all the different features of your product or your idea or your company, try to keep it to three, okay? You only can do one, cool, two, all right, but don't start doing four or five. That's when it starts to become boring and drag on. So when Steve talked about the iPhone, he said, all right, you're going to be able to go on the internet, one, two, you're going to be able to operate it with your finger, not with a stylus pen, and three, you can end up in have, being able to put applications, apps, onto your phone in a very simple way that's not going to have to get a specialist to do it. Those were those three revolutionary things he shared. Now, we also know it has a camera and it's got a flashlight and uh, all that, but you see, that's when it would start to be like too much. Just highlight the three most important features of your product or your idea. It's a, it's a good thing to remember. I do that when I'm going through a, a movie idea or a story I'm pitching. First, I have my seven second hook grabbing people, then those three takeaways, right? of how I'm going to um, uh, change people with that that story or that idea. I think this is really important. I use it in projects when I focus on the three main things. If it's a visualization, then maybe slice and dice certain data or ability to see a certain KPI, or if it's an optimization model, that what, what are we optimizing and where? And even careers, and this is something else there is like, People speak about their careers and things. And again, storytelling is applied because mm -hmm. you can't be good at everything. What are the three most important things that you are good at? Your passion. Yes. How many of us have been in those meetings or those presentations where someone's going through their, you know, 200 page slide deck and every one of those slide deck pages has 20 points on it. And I mean, how do you even retain any of that? And, and it's already been proven through data that when somebody is sharing with you a slide with a bunch of information you need to read and they're talking over it, you know how much information people retain? <laughs> Not much. 
because people can't listen to you talk and read a bunch of fine print on a slide and do that for the next hour and get anything out of it. So think about how many hours have been wasted sitting through those and preparing those. It's kind of sad, right? You know, when I gave a, a TED talk the first time, they ended up saying, really keep, keep your presentation to 12 slides. You're going to have a 15 minute talk. Keep it to 12 slides. Don't put more than, you know, five words on each slide. Try to have more images instead and talk over the image. Like the image will be a prompt to be able to share a metaphor or a point. And, um, and also make sure those images are things that are personal and authentic to you, not just ones you grabbed online. Um, they, they're personal to you. So that it, it's uh, it's a, it's a wise technique. If you want to keep people awake and, and interested in your next, your next presentation. Yeah. I think people just understand that people really switch off when you have something going on and people oh, say, yeah. where do I focus now? And I'm not a multi, I can't do two things at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And then um, also, you know, when you look at, the the tweets that get put out, um, most of the tweets that get liked and re-liked are ones with a simple image or video. You know, uh, seldom can you be able to write something unless maybe you're Elon Musk and it'll get retweeted and retweeted and liked, right? But most of the time, we're visual learners. We're, we're attracted to visual stories trying to use visuals and you can do that in data and analytics to be able to share a feature or what your what your company or product is about it's it's a great way to keep things simple clear and concise that's true um i think we said we have this like 30 minutes to 40 minutes but <laughs> somehow the yeah we've been uh, yeah, it did <laughs> <laughs> But it was really, I really enjoyed the the uh, chat, and I yeah. like, I still have lots of questions and things to ask. But I think, uh, yeah, it's thank you for that. In um, I'm sure. I like the background. I know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's like I'm in my today. I'm in my art studio because I'm working on my film today, and so you probably recognize a couple of of things. Like that's the uh, that's from the movie Brave. There's a, a scene in the in the witches. Um, witch's house where she lifts that up. And then this guy over here is actually one of the early 3D rigging models on Toy Story. And then you can see there's a, a Lightning McQueen first kind of sculpt. And this whole room is full. It's like a little museum in here. So Yeah, you're, you're in a museum. I'm quite yes. like... <laughs> it is so cool. Thanks. Um, no, I want to thank you very much for today. Um, again, as I said, it's it's my first like um, LinkedIn where I'm actually having an author, and and I thought your book is really important. Um, thank you. It is one of the best books when it comes to uh, storytelling, um, and you're definitely yeah, an expert in that. <laughs> it's uh, interesting you. how you can relate that to analytics. Um, it is really inspiring. Um, just wanted to thank you very much. Um, again, this is recorded, so you'll see it, you'll be able to Great. view it on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and on uh, 
Twitter. Um, and uh, again, thank you very much, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> and thank you for okay. everyone who joined us today, really. Um, appreciate that. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, you can always ask us and we'll definitely be answering uh, through the comments. Great. Thanks, All Matt. Right, well, everyone, stay safe, stay creative. You too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye.